0: Jesus, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Your leadership is perfect. There's no one like you, there's no one more beautiful than you. Your worth exceeds every other, the glory is yours. All honor goes to you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, just pray with me. Just pray with me. Jesus, you're so, so amazing. I ask you this morning to just walk. Walk in this room. Just walk among us. Jesus, let your tangible, tangible glory, your tangible presence come in this place. Holy Spirit, do your work. Do what you do best. Convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict our hearts that we may be able to walk boldly and purely before the Lord. Jesus, you're so good. You're so good. Jesus, I ask you this morning that you would speak. That you would move upon every heart, God. That you would shake us. Shake shake the very foundations of, of the core of who we are. Shake us. Strike us this morning. That nothing that needs to be revealed would remain hidden after this morning, after this weekend. God, we see you. We know that you are, you're moving, that you're walking uh, upon the earth, that you're moving upon the earth, that you're doing something in this end times. That we're do, you're doing something in this hour, Lord, and we want to be ready. Because Misty Edwards sings that, God, we don't want to be offended when it all comes down. Jesus, your leadership is perfect and you're righteous. come on, if we could just, you know, you know, if we could just live like this, if we could just live this lifestyle of prayer and worship and consuming the word, you know, we really wouldn't even need these, these gatherings. Last night, I was on the floor just in the presence of God and he was talking to me just about what he's doing and what he's, what he's doing this weekend. And he, 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 he asked me a question. He said, Tammy, what is the cry of your heart? And immediately my response was, what is the cry of your heart? And I just began to weep because I was surprised by my own response. Because I've come to this place in my relationship with him where I'm so fully aware that without him I am nothing. I am so fully aware that any response that I have besides what is your heart is the wrong response. And his response to me is, he said, the cry of my heart is a prevailing church in the last days. This is the cry of the heart. The cry of the heart of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is that we would prevail. Prevail. In the last days. His cry is that his bride would be made ready. That's the longing of his heart. I don't typically share a lot of visions and things and I'll be honest with you just if you knew me personally my 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 personality kind of teeters back and forth between introvert and, and extrovert it's really odd but my intimacy, my place, the, the places that I go with the Lord have a really, really difficult time sharing uh, visions and encounters because they're so deeply intimate to me. I feel like I'm exposing even, I'm exposing this most intimate, deep place with him when I begin to share. And so when he spoke this to me last night, he also told me, he said, I want you to share the vision from the wall and and it's it's like i'm saying it's very difficult for me but i've been in this in this whirlwind with the lord probably for about a year now maybe a little bit longer and it began with that simple revelation for 1 and 2 come up here and i want to show you what will take place after this and it began with a dream, so I'm going to take you through this just a little bit in order to set up what I feel like the Lord is saying to us this morning. But he says, come up here, I want to show you what will take place after this. He, he begins to share his heart with me in this way. But it began with a dream, maybe even a year and a half, two years ago, where I was walking uh, through a crowd of people, which I knew to be a church, be the church. And I was on one side of this wall as I walked through the crowd of people. And on the wall was a prophet. And on the, on, the, on the side of the wall was an apostle. And the prophet was the watchman. And he was standing on the wall. And he was blowing the trumpet. He was sounding the alarm. And I began to, as I was walking through the people, I began to realize that the people were on the wrong side of the wall. I began to realize that they were unprotected, but yet they seemed to be having family. They seemed to be gathering well. They seemed to be enjoying themselves, but they had no idea the impending danger that was coming to them. And I began, when I looked and I saw the, the, uh, the, uh, the person that represented the apostle, his eyes were this way as the prophet's eyes were this way. And they were seamlessly communicating back and forth with one another, calling the church from this side of the wall onto the other side of the wall. And so, in the dream, this is a dream. In the dream, my husband and I began to, to take the people and try to remove them from the, the danger, the side of danger, into the side of protection. And little, and I guess we didn't understand, but they were absolutely resistant to come to the other side of the wall. And I woke up. Fast forward. Several months later, over the past year and a half, I've been experiencing Jesus, give me the words. I've been experiencing what I thought initially was anxiety. But what, I, what I've been experiencing is I've, I've noticed that every time there's a massive event, every time there's a shooting, every time there's, you know, some type of danger, every time there's something going on behind the scenes in the government, I begin to feel this, this it's almost like this deep, groaning, travail, painful reality. And then the Lord will, he will, he will I will literally not be able to stand still. Just prayer and pacing, prayer and pacing, prayer and pacing, and not knowing what's going on. And I'll be like, and I'll finally cry out to the Lord, what is going on? And then he'll tell me to be still, sit down, and come up here. And so I've been in these series of visions. I'm not going to tell you all the visions. I've had about five of them. But they they started with that dream, and in each part of the vision, the Lord has shown, shown me a different place at which he's moving the church to get the church on the right side of the wall. About three or four weeks ago, he took me up to that place right before there was like three or four shootings that week in our nation. And he took me up to that place right before uh, the, the, the news came out. And he, he, I was literally, he showed me, he said, this is what you're doing on the wall. He said, you're spinning, blowing the trumpet. You're standing on the wall, and you're blowing it this way, and you're blowing it this way, and you're blowing it this way, and you're blowing it this way. And that's why you're experiencing all of this uh, tension and anxiety on the, side of, on the inside of you. He said, Tammy, be still and come up here. Be still and come up here and I will show you what will take place after this. And I literally went, if you, we kind of live up in the mountain a little bit. And so I kind of went up to the top of our property and I sat down where we have a little fire pit. And, and as soon as I sat down, I saw the Lord. He took me off of the wall and up and he showed me this uh, literal army coming in. And what I was seeing was, was basically an a, a impending attack upon our nation. And I saw the hand of the Lord holding the attack back. And see, this is like five out of the, you know, fifth vision out of the five that I've had over the past few years. On the other, it's on the other side of the wall, where the unprotected church was. And the Lord says to me, it's for my mercy, it's for my mercy's sake that I am holding this back. Blow the trumpet. But here's the key. I couldn't blow the trumpet in anxiety of spinning this way and this way and this way and this way and this way. I had to come up and be seated where he was in heavenly places so that I could see what he could see, so that I could do what he wants to do, so that I could say what he wants to say, so that he could reveal what he wanted to reveal. I had to cause peace to be still on the inside of myself. The cry of the heart of the Lord as a prevailing church that is ready in the last days. We do not talk about the end time message in the body of Christ. We are, listen, I am just as guilty of it as anybody. I see these things. I know these things. I experience these encounters. I study the Word. I have this reality. But about three or four years ago, a spirit of fear came over me where I began to be afraid to trumpet the message that the impending, uh, the impending judgment as well as the impending uh, outpouring is coming unto the return of the Lord. And the Lord is saying right now, the cry of his heart is a prevailing church that is, is, is a bride that is made ready for the, his return. And it's exactly what Jeremiah has been saying. It's what other people have been saying. And thank God you guys are in an atmosphere where you're hearing this message. But it's the, you're the 0.0001%. What is the prevailing church? Well, we all know the scripture where Jesus is sitting sitting there with Peter and the disciples at Caesarea Philippi, where he asked Peter the question, who do men say that I am? Raise your hand if you know the story. All of us, we preach it till the cows come home. I'll read it to you one real quick just for, the, for, for time's sake. And then Jesus replied after Peter received the revelation. He said what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and what did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Pause there's a prevailing that is released in this moment of revelation to Peter and to those who were seated with them seated with Jesus in this place if you've ever been to the place in Israel you're seated in this place overlooking hey we overlooking Caesarea Philippi which was known as the gates of hell because of the idolatry because of the ditch of of idolatry that Caesarea Philippi was in so they're up in this place up higher looking where he's looking and he's using it as an example to say who do these people say that I am because what they say really doesn't matter only what my father reveals is what's going to cause you Peter to be able to be a living stone that I can build my church upon that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Jesus is not only revealing in this moment that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, but he's revealing a church that must be in, in, living in the seated place, in that place, in heavenly places where they receive their revelation from heaven into the earth so that they can become living stones or a, the called out ones that can actually function in a time of crisis that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And what did God say? He says, my, my heart cries that, a per, that would, there would be a prevailing church. My heart cries for my prevailing church in these last days. A bride made ready. How many of you realize that, the, that Jerusalem, the heavenly city, when it comes down out of heaven, that it is made up of the living stones? There's this theme throughout Scripture, specifically from this point forward, where Jesus and, and, and the, the apostles real, realize that they are pieces of the rock, the living stones that make up the bride. Very first thing we have to understand is the spirit of revelation is absolutely necessary. Not just for the prophets, not just for the fivefold ministry, not just for the intercessors. And I could go on a whole nother rabbit trail just with those things right there. But the spirit of knowledge, wisdom, and revelation, and the knowledge of him is absolutely necessary for the bride to be made ready in the last days. And to be victorious and prevail in what will be one of the most trying times that the world has ever seen. We have to change the way we pray. We have to change the way we see. We have been preaching messages on maturing the bride and growing up the church. Probably ever since I even stepped into a spirit-filled, charismatic Pentecostal circles. That's I've heard those messages so many times. But we are still infants on milk and not able to consume solid food and what does it say not knowing the difference between good and evil and so in order to be at this place where we prevail we've got to begin to come up higher and live in the place of revelation and knowledge of him it really should not be mind-blowing to us that we're standing on the edge of a time when we're going to see some of the worst of times and some of the best of times. It's prophesied all throughout Scripture. You don't have to be prophetic to see the signs. As a matter of fact, my husband is all into politics, and I am like, Bleh, leave me alone. I told him the other day, like, I'm praying, da, 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 you know, like all this stuff. And he hears, he hears all everything. He hears it all. He hears the dreams and the visions. He's the only one I'll talk to. But he called me the other day, and he's, he's all into all this stuff. And I had one of those days where I was just getting all these downloads and all this, like, totally unrest all day long, just praying, 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 praying. And he calls me, and he's been, he's been online. I've been in the throne room. He's been online. <laughs> and he's going, this, 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 this. He's just politicking it out like all of it. All of it. And I'm like, dude, I can't handle no more. I'm I'm, I'm he he went on and on about everything. I said, I know that corruption is absolutely rampant in our government. I know this. The spirit of the Lord has revealed this. And the way that we handle it is not dissecting it out and going getting into all the conspiracy theories. The way that we handle it is come up here. Come up above it. Come up higher. Why do we function from earth unto heaven instead of heaven unto earth? Why do we think that we're going to prevail by diving into the culture? I'm not saying that we don't need to know what's going on. And I'm not saying anything against my husband. He's, he's got a whole other anointing. He really does. He and I work really well together. He brings me back down to earth a little bit sometimes. And I say, come up here. <laughs> and he says, but you, read, you need to actually read the news. Like, I don't need to. Praying it. (laughs) But we partner together in that. But we have to move beyond because if we keep, stay in the place where we're eyeball to eyeball with social media and the internet and the world, then we're going to function in this place out of anxiety, fear, and terror instead of in this place where we can see and declare a thing and call forth the will of God and the earth. This was not even my message It always happens. I probably shouldn't even say that. We must be a revelation-driven and a vision-driven bride. We must. I know, you know, we say it, just preach Revelation 4, but it's true. (laughs) We must come up. And understand that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father and he began or continued in intercession for us. And, and then he gave us an invitation to sit with him to see what he sees, do what he does, and, and, and say what he says says, and function in the earth as he is in heaven and bringing that into the earth. And therefore, there is no fear Perfect love drives out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Therefore, there is no fear in love, for perfect love drives out all fear. Because we begin to understand that the love of God is also the the one that brings recompense and vengeance in the earth. And therefore, we're not fearful when he begins to bring about judgment in the earth because we've ascended into the place where we can see him eyeball to eyeball and do what he does and say what he says and understand that his, his judgment is perfect love. So we've got to come to the place as the bride where we understand that Jesus is both bridegroom, king, and judge. He is all of the above. If you saw what he sees, pause. I grew up with with hearing this statement all the time. Why, you know, if God's so great, if he's so loving, then why doesn't he do anything about this? I used to hear it all the time. Why does he let children be abused? Why does he let sex trafficking happen? You know, and I mean, even heard the statement, Why, why did he let you get raped? And here's the amazing thing about the grace of God on my life, and I'd say that with all seriousness. I've never, and I've, my, my, my testimony, my, some of my stories in the book, if you want to read it. It's really hard for me to release that, but I did because the Lord told me to. But I've never stood in the place where I questioned the goodness of God because I went through hell. But I believe that's the grace of God on my life. I believe that he positioned my heart. Everyone doesn't have that. But the answer to the question is that the goodness of God does lead man to repentance. But he's also merciful in his ways. But he will execute judgment in the earth. But he's called a prevailing church and a victorious bride to come up here and see what he sees and do what he does and execute his declarations and execute his judgments and execute his heart and his word in the earth. And that's not just going out on outreaches. And I'm not against outreaches. We do them and I love them. But it's not just going out on outreaches. It's actually sitting where he sits and calling forth his word. It says that Jesus only did what he saw the father do. He only said what he heard the Father say, and when he said it, it was done. I, I, I challenge you if we would begin to sit in that place, then we would see a heck of a lot more done. We would see a lot more shifting and a lot more changing, but our hearts are not positioned in a place that we know the character of God so well that we would not be offended when he begins to answer our prayers. If you sat up in a place and you saw what he sees, you would be crying out for his good, righteous judgment in the earth. You think you have a problem with children being trafficked? How much more so do you think the father does? You think you have a problem with babies being slaughtered? How much more so does your father He's saying, he's interceding. He's saying, please come up here. We have to be a revelation and vision driven bride. Why do I say vision driven? It says, in the last days, he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and his sons and daughters would prophesy, and his old men would dream dreams, and young men would see visions. And upon my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. And we don't ever read the blood and the fire and the billow smoke part. We just kind of skip past that part. But he says that he would release visions to the young men. And that's not gender specific. He's releasing vision into the young. Why? Because vision, when I see a vision versus a dream, vision brings clarity that demands obedience and accountability. A dream is a little different. If I have a dream, I've got to kind of pull apart that dream and figure out that dream and submit it to wisdom and submit it to the Word of God. But if I have a vision, if I see That I am accountable to what I see. So the bride must be a revelation-driven, vision-driven bride in the last days. We cannot just get caught up in our dreams. We need the dreamers. I'm a dreamer. I'm a dreamer of dreamers. But dreaming also implies slumber. Vision implies being awake. So the young men must wake up and dream, come to the dreamers for wisdom. I've been waging war against the spirit of slumber in my own life, literally physical slumber. There's something about intercession prayer in the early morning hours that the Lord blesses. But it seems like every time I get into a really good routine of getting up early, something will throw me off. And so I've been waging war physically against the spirit of slumber. Because whenever he reveals something to me, I want it to be so clear that I know, that I know, that I know I am walking in direct disobedience to him if I don't do it. I want to be able to share that with someone in my life that will keep me accountable to it. Clarity that demands accountability. Father, wake us up. Wake us up. God, we want to see what you see. We want to see what you see. We want to, we want to hear your marching orders so clearly that we know that our name's going to be blotted, blotted out if we don't walk in obedience to you. Lord, we want, I want that. I don't know if you want that because I pray dangerous prayers. But if you aren't in the place of desiring that, you need to begin to pray yourself into that place. Why? Because the spirit of the age is rampant in our generation. Why do we need the ecclesia, the called out ones? Why do we need to be the ecclesia that the gates of hell can't prevail against? Why are we the called out ones? Because he says, come out from among them and be you separate. We can be in the world, but not of it. But I found myself in a place here recently Whenever I, that, that I'll get into the place of groaning. I'll get into this place of, 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 of intimacy with him. That the world, it's hard for me to be in it at all. But we love the world. We do want a massive harvest, and I'm going to get to that. But the thing about it is, it's exactly what Jeremiah preached last night. If we don't have this consecration, if we don't have this awakening, we won't be able to handle the glory. We won't be able to handle the outpouring. We won't be able to handle the harvest. Because we are still, we're, we're still jealous children. Instead of a, a bride that's receiving the jealousy of her husband. So the spirit of the age is rampant. That Second 2 Thessalonians two ten really has been gripping my heart over the past year. The coming of the lawless one, lawless, lawlessness one, will be accompanied by the working of Satan and every kind of power, sign, and false wonder, and every wicked deception directed against those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. Because they refuse to love the truth, that would have saved them. For this reason, God will send a powerful disillusion so that they will believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 The prevailing church, the bride without spot and blemish, the ones who's living in the place of revelation and vision that demands accountability, will walk in awakening and must love the truth. Worshippers that worship in both spirit and in truth. We have a generation that does not not love the truth and doesn't even know what truth means. Truth is an ambiguous word. Truth is relevant to whatever you want it to be. What is your truth? That's a lie. The truth Is the word of God. And we must begin to again trumpet from the rooftops. Why did I write the book, Permission to Burn? You want me to tell you the story? Four years ago, we launched the firehouse officially in Clemson, South Carolina. Massive gathering. People came from all over, I don't know, packed a building about this big. We launched this thing. In this moment, we do 24 to 50 hours of worship and prayer, and it's just crazy fire the whole entire time. Is, it's amazing. But we were probably like three or four hours in, and, and we began to function really beautifully in team ministry. There was different people that were kind of sharing a word, some people that were praying for other people. And I got on the microphone and began to declare this, this simple statement, you have permission to burn. You have permission to believe the word and do what it says. You have permission to be set apart. You have permission to be a holy generation. You have permission to be a a royal priesthood. You have permission to burn. You have permission to declare the word of the Lord. And I said, if you feel like you need permission to burn, come up to this altar right now. And it blew me away that the doggone altar was four or five levels thick of college students and youth. And I literally stood on the platform and had to pick my jaw up. And I said, Lord, do they really need permission? Is it that bad? And so we began to pray and we began to anoint these college students and, and youth and, and, and begin to call them to a place of consecration and begin to call them and give them permission to, to believe that this is absolute truth. And then we called the uh, generation older than them. We, we said everybody that's 50 and older, we called them up to, to support them and come behind them and just begin to declare that the young and the old are coming together, that, 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 that this is one generation and, and, and the whole nine. And that, that moment was what this book was birthed out of. Because I realized in that moment that we have a massive crisis on our college campuses. And really as a culture, because of the spirit of the age, has numbed us out. Silenced a generation. We would take students they were just burning fiery prayer and intercession in the building. And we would take them out to the campus to share the gospel and they would lock down And shut up. They were terrified of offending someone with just the name of Jesus. And my husband and I looked at each other. We were like, what has happened in the past five to ten years? Because it wasn't that bad when I was in college. I'm not that old. I don't think I am. (laughs) We were bold. We were bold on our campus. So I sat down with one of the students and, and had a conversation. Like talk to me about why it bothers you so much that we go out to the campus and and, and talk about Jesus. This is one of my leaders. And she said it's offensive. And I'm just What? Are you? Are you a Christian? Y'all just wanted. I have a degree in counseling. It's just not on my website. I took it off. Not good at it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Because somebody says something like that, and my face goes, and I'm like, "Stop, face, stop." You can read my face. My face said, well, you're an idiot. No, I didn't mean my face to say that. <laughs> but in that moment I realized like we have a massive issue with this spirit of the age. The Spirit of Babylon has infiltrated our entire entire generation. It's not just our college campuses. It's like literally this blanket, this mentality that has washed over our minds and we've been silenced and we've been shut up and we think that it's a- we think that we are doing something wrong to proclaim the truth. The very Jesus that we believe in, the very Jesus that was humiliated and, and strung out across, uh, on a cross that bled and died for us to be united with him in heaven. We're denying him in the public place and crazy on fire for him in the secret place, supposedly. this book, I wrote two chapters that probably are are the most burning chapters of my heart. One is called The Lovesick Warriors, and the other is Holy Dissatisfaction. Because the cry of my heart since that moment has been, God, Mark us with holy dissatisfaction. God, strike us to the place where we cannot deny your beauty. God, cause us to be so lovesick for you that we will fight and we will die for the one we love. God, raise up a generation that will burn. God, raise up a generation that will not pour or, or, or quench the spirit in their own lives. God, mark us to the place where we can't help but vomit the declaration of the Lord whenever we're in the public place. Have we lost our ability to be lovesick? Have we stepped away from our first love? We will not prevail against the gates of hell. We will not stand against the spirit of Babylon and the spirit of the age and the spirit of Jezebel and all these other water spirits, whatever people in books about. We will not be able to stand. And that's another rabbit trail. And know the truth when someone writes some random book about some spirit. If we don't know what it is to be lovesick, set apart, knowing his truth, consuming the meat of the word, living in constant fellowship from the place where he is sitting and not from our sweet by and by. But the first place that starts is that lovesick, intimate place. That's actually the first place. You can't recognize him as the king and judge if you have not learned how to commune with him in love, sick passion. If you don't understand wonder, which is the fear of the Lord, by the way. Encountering the fear of the Lord, encountering him in that, that place of, of, of being around the throne will cause you to be in such awestruck wonder in the fear of the Lord. But if we, can't, if we can't come to that place first, we'll never be able to handle when he actually begins to answer our prayers about, God, why aren't you doing something? Song of Solomon 5 8. Or Song of Solomon 5. I love it. I want to hit this. I want to talk about as as quickly, probably, as I can, because I don't have time to unpack this completely. I want to talk about the two different brides. Jared hit it very briefly last night. There's the harlot of Revelation 17 and 18. And there is, there is the bride of Christ that arises in the last days. I want to show you this Song of Solomon bride. Specifically, I want to hit Song of Solomon 7 and 8. And nine, really quickly, and then we'll see where the Lord takes us with it. It says, I encountered the watchmen on the rounds in the city. They beat me and bruised me and took away my cloak. Those guardians of the walls, O daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you. If you find my beloved, tell him I am sick with love. How is your beloved better than others, they, they, the, the ladies say to her. O most beautiful among women, how is your beloved better than another that you may charge us so? If we were to read the entire chapter of Song of Solomon, we will see that this bride, has this, this Shulamite, has found herself in, in an inner room. Can I, can I be a little graphic for a minute? Because the Word of God is a little graphic in this situation. She's in the inner room. She has disrobed herself. It says that she's dripping with myrrh. And that she has, she's, he's on, she just knew he was on the other side of the door. She experienced just his presence on the other side of the door. He's about to come into the door. and she's, She says in this portion of Scripture, I have disrobed myself. I have washed my feet. How can I robe myself yet again? And then she realizes all of a sudden that he's not there. And she begins to experience this torment of separation from her beloved. She knew that he was knocking on the door. She knew that he was so close that she could feel his breath on the other side of the door. She was Covered in anointing. Her feet were clean. She was pure. She was spotless. She was holy. She was ready for the marriage. And in that moment, she began to burn with passion. She realized that he was not there anymore. And so she comes out of the door and she goes into the streets where the harlots are. She goes into the streets. Where the, where, where the prostitutes are roaming the streets, where the watchmen are supposed to be on the wall watching, and she finds herself in the streets being beaten by the watchmen, but, but the harlot's standing in awe. The watchman's response to her lovesick stupor is, what are you doing out here? And the harlot's response is, who is this beloved that you would be willing to go through this to find? It's a picture of the false and the real. The false prophets that are standing on the wall that would rather have a a culture of harlotry than a lovesick bride that is unwilling to relent. It's the picture of, of the, the global, the bridegroom fast. When Jesus says to John's disciples, when they come to him, what, John's disciples says, why don't your disciples fast? Jesus' response is, my disciples will fast when the bridegroom is taken away. But right now, while the bridegroom is with them, they are not fasting. This is a picture of the bride when the bridegroom has been taken away, where she's torn her clothes, where she's lovesick rent on the inside, where there's a groaning and a yearning for him to return. And she's willing to go into the streets with her passion. She's willing to go into the streets and proclaim his beauty. She's willing to go into the streets and be beaten, persecuted, abused, and take whatever she needs to take because she's so consumed with the lovesickness that she does not care and she calls us the head of a culture to turn the entire culture shifts the harlots begin to say I want to know him How, wh- he's so much greater than all these others is he greater than every other lover? You see, we talk about an outpouring of his spirit and his judgment upon the earth of both hand. This is the picture of the lovesick bride that is so consumed that she's proclaiming him in the streets at all costs. And yet a, 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 a remnant of a harlot is turning like Rahab. And saying, I want to know him. That's the both end. But the true harlot bride of Revelation 17 and 18, the spirit of Babylon. I want to show you something about her. The lovesick bride weeps, she groans, she gets revelation, she drips with oil, her feet are clean, she'll go where she needs to go, she'll say what she needs to say, she'll take abuse, she'll take all of these things. She mourns the harlot bride in Revelation 17, the spirit of the age, the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of humanism, the false grapes message, the self worship, whatever you want to call it. Let's look at it in Revelation 17, real quick. I'm going to show you very specifically. Again, he's, he's calling us up to see. And I want to say something. I'm not going to assume that you guys understand fully that that the end time message is not one of terror, but it's one of love. the The book of Revelation is not the revelation of Satan and the Beast; it's the revelation of Jesus. Okay. Because there's no fear in love. That's where we're going with this. Perfect love drives out all fear. So we're able to see him rightly and love his leadership. Perfect leadership. I really challenge you to really dive into just a, a study of, of the end times. Not just in the book of Revelation, but in, in Isaiah and in Daniel and in Ezekiel. Both the, the, the covenant of the prophets and the covenant of the apostles. That's what I call the old new. It says, one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came to me and said, come. We can get into that word in a minute. Come, and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her are the kings of the earth committing adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. When the angel carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness, I saw the woman sitting on the scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, and she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And the name written on her forehead was Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people and the blood of those who bore the testimony of Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. There's two times that G, that, that John is astonished in the scriptures. One was when he looks on the harlot and the other is when he looks on the bride. And the angel said, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast at which she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. And he goes on to write about more about her. But I want to point out very clearly, if you find it, I have it. Let me let me open my paper Bible. I want to show you how this harlot in all of these things, how she's she has so much influence over the culture. She's got the king's hearts in her hands. She's dressed in scarlet. She's, she's, she looks like a bride. She looks like a queen lifted up. They're intoxicated with her adulteries. They're drunk in a stupor, in a slumber, unable to understand, unable to see the depth of her deception. Jump to, to voice, uh, sorry, voice. <laughs> Jump to, um, okay, yeah, sorry. Now go over to, to Revelation 18. Go to verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins. This is after she's been slain. Come out of her, my people. Sorry. And do not participate in her sins and receive or receive her plagues. In the verse 7, it says, To the gr- degree that she glorified herself with and lived sensuality, to the same degree her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning, famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And then in verse 9 it says that the kings of the earth who commit acts of adultery and live sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when the smoke at the smoke of her burning. Pause right there. Turn to Zechariah. Twelve ten, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, the one whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one who mourns for an only child and will weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. And then, you don't have to flip there, but in Revelation 1, 7, it says, Behold, he is coming on the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And it says at his crucifixion that after he was crucified, that the people looked upon him, and they mourned. And they tore their clothes. There's the bride who will mourn. There's the bride who, who is willing to go out into the streets, the Song of Solomon Shulamite, the one that is willing to go out to the streets and take whatever she must take in the midst of the culture, and she mourns over the loss of him. She mourns over the separation from him. She's the lovesick warrior. She's wholly dissatisfied. And then there's the harlot of Revelation 17 and 18 who refuses to mourn, who has captivated the culture who are drunk on her sensualities. She's got the kings of the earth around her, and she says to herself, and she says to them, there is no need to mourn, for self-exaltation is what you need. This is about you. This is about me. The spirit of Babylon is the gospel of humanism. The harlot bride in the last days comes in and deceives with sensuality. Have you ever? And, and this is BC before Christ days. Have you ever been drunk? Billy Humphrey shared this uh, at uh, IHOP Atlanta one day last week, and and he he was he was t- he actually shared this story in in with this passage, and he was talking about how you know when you used to go out and party. You would say, oh, just one drink. I'm okay. And then you'd have another drink, and you'd say, I'm okay. And before you know it, you're you're, you're intoxicated. And you're doing things that you wouldn't normally do. Your senses and sensuality has been heightened into the flesh realm. You all of a sudden, and he didn't go into this, but you all of a sudden, most of the time, have some kind of sexual sensuality that that you could have held at bay before you began to drink that drink. It says that the harlot of Revelation 17 has the kings intoxicated with her adulteries. It says in Matthew uh, 24 that even the elect will be deceived. How did the elect become deceived? Because they get wrapped up in the harlotry of the false bride. If if, If she is a harlot, that means, in my opinion, she was once in covenant, and now she's out of covenant. She represents a religious system, not just a world system. We have to wake up. We have to wake up. For so long i preached this lovesick message because I have, I'm lovesick. I'm ruined. But I've also been waging war against the spirit of slumber. Because we can't just live in the, the, the place of sensuality with the Lord. We have to be grounded in the truth and know the word or we will be the elect that's deceived. We've got to know him, both as bridegroom, king, and judge. Because in this portion of scripture, there's a judgment that comes forth against the harlot of harlots. And the key, the key revelation for me right now is that this harlot refused to mourn. Many of us, we call ourselves the burning ones. We love the fire of God. I love the presence of God. Matthew 3.11 says that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist baptized in water and he prepared the way for the baptism of the fire. But in Matthew 3, 12, it talks about the the, the chaff being brought into the barn and, and and the wheat and the chaff being separated in that and, and those things that that, that, that that were hindering, those things that were unnecessary, those things that were not needed were burned in the barn. We don't like to talk about the side of the fire that causes purification and cleansing and consecration and being set apart until we actually enter into a true place of holy dissatisfaction. When we become wholly dissatisfied, we desire the holy over every other lover, over every other satisfaction. That's when we begin to enter into the place where we love both the truth and the spirit, where we're living in the place of awakening, because we're constantly living out what I call the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, where we live where we live in being poor in spirit, where we live in humility. It doesn't matter how high I get with God. It doesn't matter what platform I stand on. It doesn't matter how good things are going in my life. I know that I am poor in spirit. I know that without him I am nothing. I know this because I live in relationship with him, and I'm wholly dissatisfied with anything besides him, and every other lover must bow itself to his presence. Our problem-burning ones, our problem-burning messengers, what will be our downfall if we aren't careful is pride and arrogance. This morning as I was praying, as I was just in the place and spending time with the Lord, even in that throne room place, just begin to cry holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty is just in that place. And then all of a sudden, I get this moment of revelation where the Lord says, the angels cry holy, but the elders cast their crown. Angels fall. The angels, the burning ones, they're the seraphim that live around the throne constantly day and night, night and day, crying holy. The ones we're just like, I just want to be where they are. But here's the key revelation. Satan in Isaiah 14, 13 and 14 fell like lightning because he was lifting himself up above God in pride and in arrogance. We know the five I wheels. What did did Satan say? We have to guard ourselves against this. I'm going to read this to you real quick. This This is just a really, really trumpeting message right now of both the wonder and the understanding of the judgment of God. Satan said, I will be as God. I will possess God's glory. I will have all in me. I will have all subjected to me. I will exercise authority and I will occupy heaven. five I wills. You can dive in that a little bit deeper later on. But Isaiah 14 talks about Satan. He was the worship leader in heaven. He was the one that stood around the throne. He gazed on the beauty. He gazed on the fire. He gazed on the wonder of God. He had to release beautiful, glorious intercession and prayer and, and praise and worship all around the throne. But there's one fault that he had is he self-exalted. He began to get a desire to exalt himself above the knowledge of God. He did not see the worth of the Lamb. He, listen, it says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. Lucifer did not see the worth of the lamb. He didn't call him worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory. And so my warning to us burning ones, burning messengers, those that are are going after the presence and after the fire and after this, this throne room existence is to never forget that the 24 elders cast their crowns. That they had earned well earned they were given the crowns from the lord but when they came around the throne the only one that was worthy the one that was that, that was the only one that was worthy to break the seals when they saw him face to face they fell prostrate on the ground they slung their crowns and they began to cry worthy are you lord god almighty maker of heaven and earth worthy it wasn't just holy you're worthy you're worthy Because the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. The pure heart will see God. And the moment that we forget that he's worthy, we lose our purity. The moment that we begin to exalt ourselves. Listen, we live in a selfie culture. We walk around with a phone in our own face, constantly taking pictures of ourselves. And even that's not good enough. They've got to be edited and filtered and doctored. And and who knows what else people do to these pictures. Y'all seen the Face app? That thing freaks me out. I told my kids that thing's demonic. <laughs> They're making girls look like boys and young look like old. Y'all, y'all... y'all See this thing? My kids are like, Mama, you think everything's demonic. <laughs> my my daughter, my oldest daughter, is like, just say we don't live in this culture. It is kind of funny that what I would look like if I was a boy. And I'm like, I don't like it. Don't like it. You're not a boy. Don't even think about it. The Lord rebuke you. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> The, the, the temptation is a self-exaltation. The temptation is, is promoting self and exalting self, and this is about me, and this is my platform. And every time when we come to the Lord, are we talking to him about ourselves, or are we talking to him about him? Listen, I'm a words of affirmation, acts of service kind of girl, okay? That's, that's my love language. Acts of service, you, you pat me on the back and do something for me, I will love you your whole life. So this is a giant I've had to slay. God, I don't need to hear how good I am all the time to feel worthy. I need to know how good you are. I found myself recently saying, I don't even know you. I want to know you. I just want to know you. Man, I started getting into this revelation about the about Zachariah 10, 12. And they will look upon the one whom they had pierced, and they will mourn. And I began to just cry out, God, I just want to see you rightly. I just want to see you rightly. I want to mourn. I want to weep. I want to groan. I want to birth something in the earth that glorifies you and not myself. That's the Hannah cry, by the way. Keep us here all day if we go into that. Satan tempted Jesus in every way, in the same five I wills, the same opportunity Jesus had to exalt himself it was crazy to me that he took Jesus into onto a place and he told him that all of this would be his if he bowed down and worshipped Satan. And I'm thinking, how stupid is that? This is Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's already here. But the truth of the, of the matter is, is that he's been tempted and tried in every way that we have been. And so here's the thing. We must keep our eyes open. We cannot be drunk with the intoxications of the world. Or we would give in to the temptation of Satan that will sound like God when God says, every place that you should put your foot will begin will be given to you. And we begin to go, this is my territory. It's mine. But, but it says in Psalm 2 that... Ask of me and I'll give you the nations of your inheritance. He's talking about Jesus. So all I am is a living, moving, breathing, territory taker for Jesus. Because Satan's not coming at me. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give all this to you. He's saying if you'll bow down and worship yourself. Don't you know that you'll sell more books if you do this really good marketing plan? Come on, it's okay. All the rest of the ministries are doing it. It's okay. Pay this company $3,000 a month to promote your book. They'll, make, they'll brand you. And I, you'll have it all. Your message will get out there. Crickets. It's the temptation. It already belongs to me. Jesus has given it to me. I don't need to give it to myself. That's his message in that book. And I'm not saying I'm against social media. I think it's a really good outlet to minister. But when when it begins to be about you and you branding. Listen, I've seen so much branding literally branding your own self, like you are the brand, you're the brand, I'm the brand. And and, and, and the the thing about it is, is that stuff is not wrong if we know how to live poor in spirit. If we know how to walk out that, that sermon on the mount lifestyle. The pure heart shall see God. The problem is that it becomes so much harder when you get into that realm. The Lord spoke to me, uh, I don't know, several months ago. He said, you've passed the test of obscurity. Now it's time to pass the test of influence. And I literally started shaking. scares the mess out of me. scares me. It doesn't scare me because I will have influence. It scares me because that's a much harder test to pass. Because it's the test of self-exaltation versus remaining poor in spirit. Because I want the kingdom. God's already promised me the kingdom. So the key is being poor in spirit. God, how do I do that? I live a lifestyle of prayer. become a house of prayer. It's not about my ministry. It's not about me planting a house of prayer. It's about me becoming a house of prayer. Living in that place always knowing that i know nothing but christ in him crucified always knowing that unless we b- abide in the vine he and uh, i and him and he and me that i will bear much fruit but without him i will do nothing i will do nothing i will do nothing i am nothing without him this don't sound like a good victorious message does it but it is this is the prevailing church John received the revelation from heaven that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everyone else had a man-made, vertical, I'm sorry, horizontal revelation. John had a vertical one. It doesn't matter what men say. It matters what he says. And that's how we live victoriously. Father, we just thank you for revelation. But Lord, would you take this revelation and transform our DNA? God, open our eyes. Help us to wage war on our beds. Help us wage war on sleep and slumber. Help us to wage war against the spirit of the age in our own life, in our own selves, Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, it's for your mercy that you're holding back judgment right now. But it's at the same time, Lord, you're holding back judgment in your mercy, but the innocent need to be vindicated. So, Father, help us to come up higher, to see what you see. Jesus, we want to see what you see out of the place of intimacy and lovesickness and abandon, God. We want to encounter you around the throne. We want to be one of the voices that speak from around the throne, God. But keep our hearts down low. Keep us poor in spirit, God. Keep us in the place, Lord, where where we're bowed down before you, Lord, although we're seated with you. God, I thank you, Lord, for godly confidence. I thank you for the confidence that your word runs swiftly and that you accomplish what you send your word forth to accomplish. God, we thank you for the confidence to step where you've called us to step and take territory for your glory. But, God, may we never think that it's about our glory. Strike us, Lord. Strike us, God. Strike us. Strike us, Lord. you would rend the heavens and come down. But God, that you would lift us up higher. In your judgment, remember mercy. Move within us a groaning for your return. Lord, that we would be like the Shulamite. That we would taste and see. And know and feel your very breath, your very presence on the other side of the door. That we would hear you knocking, God. That we would know, Jesus, that you are the door. That you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And you're so close that we can feel it. Father, take us to the place of deeper still. God, deeper still. A little bit. I just want to give you an opportunity just to come, come and let him really just go deep in the recesses of your heart. And I just I come against any condemnation in this room right now. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, but allow the conviction of the Lord to have its perfect work in our hearts. Father, I thank you that you're setting us up as end-time messengers, Lord, and that you're, you're showing us rightly who you are. God, that, that even in your mercy, even in, in, in your judgment, that you're good, that your leadership is perfect. You are a holy nation. I just want to declare this over us right now. The whole burning ones. Would you burn? Would you burn with passion? Would you burn for him? But you are chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, to proclaim the virtues, the righteousness, the virtues of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. To break the chains of compromise from a holy generation break us break us out of compromise break us out of compromise it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your mercy that draws us in. Break us, Lord. Break us out of compromise. Meet us where we are, Lord. But call us up higher, Lord. That we would move out of the place of, of living in constant fear and anxiety. But loving your leadership. Knowing who you are. But Father, we say to this morning, God, we don't even know you. Help us to know you. Help us to know you. Just wanna know you. Oh God, we've spent too much time asking you who we are. We've spent too much time asking you about our identities, God. We've just spent too much time asking you about our destiny, God. We've spent so much time asking you about who we are, God, but we want to know who you are. We wanna know you, we wanna see you, we wanna see you rightly. God, for weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning, God. Help us to weep and mourn as we look upon the one we've pierced, God. But to rise up with joy at the bridegroom who is coming. Make us a house of prayer. Make us a house of prayer. Make us ready. Right now, God, I just ask you that you remove any blinders from our eyes, that we will see you rightly. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit upon a generation that's been blinded by the spirit of the age. Pour out your spirit and break off the blinders. God, give us boldness to proclaim your word. God, make us lovesick in the streets. God, make us lovesick in the, in the nighttime. God, make us lovesick, so lovesick that they would turn and they would say, Who is this, beloved?